This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. You gotta hand it to New York. And it's true what they say. If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. But believe me, there is no worse place to be when you're down on your luck than New York City. And now, the city that made Donald J. Trump great is going to break him into a million little pieces. Tuesday, the Trump Organization was found guilty on each and every count they pursued by the district attorney. Seventeen! Seventeen counts in a tax fraud scheme that spanned decades. Now, Trump could continue to blame his CFO, Alan Weisselberg, and call him a lone wolf who committed all of these various crimes on his own. But we all know the truth. Nothing at the Trump Organization ever happened without Donald's express approval. And now it's come back to crush him. Breaking news here now for a verdict in the tax fraud trial involving the Trump Organization. A jury in Manhattan has found the company guilty on all counts, 17 of them, which included criminal tax fraud and falsifying business records. The charges against the company included that it paid the per- that it was paying the personal expenses of some executives without reporting them as income. Former President Donald Trump is not personally charged with any crime. In a statement just released by the Trump Organization, a spokesperson said, in part, the fact that any company could be held responsible for an employee's actions on their personal tax returns is simply preposterous. The company will face a seven-figure fine and most likely close up shop, at least in New York. They will appeal, of course, but in the meantime, an order authorizing a retired federal judge to monitor the company's dealings to ensure that it stops lying to banks and insurers has been put into place. But of course, Guess what? It excludes Ivanka. And why? Because she did the right thing. She distanced herself from the company when she went to work at the White House. I mean, finally, good thinking, Ivanka. For all we know, she may have gotten all the brains in that family. I don't think most Americans in their heart want to be given something. I've spent a lot of time traveling around this country over the last four years. People want to work for what they get. I think, I think if anyone is unqualified to speak about what most Americans want or need or has any kind of reference point that is truth to the reality of anyone in this country, including people of color, I think it's not Ivanka Trump. But Tuesday in America just kept getting better. The January 6th committee is recommending criminal referrals to the DOJ. And if you recall in the case of Steve Bannon, the DOJ took the committee's recommendation very seriously. In fact, they convicted Bannon of contempt of Congress and he's going to do some prison time. What Trump's going to do is just declare victory, right? He's going to declare victory. But that doesn't mean he's the winner. He's just going to say he's the winner. And oh yeah, Reverend Raphael Warnock won the runoff election in Georgia and will keep his Senate seat for six more years and in the process, secured Democratic control of the Senate by a 51 to 49 margin. So congratulations to Warnock and all the boots on the ground that made it happen. And I'm looking to you, Stacey Abrams. 
But what an incredible accomplishment. The country may now let out a sigh of collective relief. Well, as a Southerner, I'm once again saying, bless you, Georgia, our sole beacon of hope. Sure, the rest of the Southern states, we're still all out here mud wrestling for the idiot belt in a shame tournament presided over by Florida. But y'all, y'all are doing good. Right, thanks to y'all, the Senate gets six years of an immensely qualified candidate and a better human. They have control of all the committees in the chamber, and it's a nice big middle finger to the mansions and cinemas of the world. So, yeah, good onions. Right, it is a little alarming that 1.7 million Georgians opted instead to cast a vote for an abusive, pathologically dishonest, demonstrably broke-brained werewolf person, but it's 2022. You'll have that. For his part, Herschel Walker bowed out of his race for the Senate gracefully with a short concession speech. Walker was never meant for the job. I mean, let's be for real. His disastrous fucking campaign and public humiliation are all the doing of Donald Trump. Let's be again honest. Walker would never have run without Trump twisting his arm. The poor bastard. I mean, he never had a fucking chance. Do you know right now I have something? They can bring you into a building that will clean you from covert as you walk through this, this dry mix. As you walk through the door, it will kill any covert on your body, EPA, FDA approved. When you leave, it will kill the virus as you leave this here product. Do you know they don't want to talk about that? But it's one less MAGA that we'll have to contend with in Congress and a guarantee that Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema will have way less power. Now Manchin, by the way, just voted with Republicans against seven days of paid sick leave for all rail workers. I mean, really, Joe, what the fuck? Seven days pay is practically nothing compared to the millions these rail companies have been raking in since the pandemic began. While Americans suffer through record inflation, these big corporations are making record profits. Now, I'd like to say that's un-American, but that would be a lie. In fact, in the first three quarters, not a whole year, three quarters of this year, the rail industry made a record-breaking $21 billion in profit. Further, they have so much money, profits are so high, that the industry spent over $25 billion this year not to improve rail safety, not to address the supply chain crisis, but to buy back its own stock and hand out huge dividends to its wealthy stockholders. But kind of hard to call yourself a kingmaker when all your hand-picked candidates lose. And I'm talking to you, Donald. Fucking Nevada, Arizona, New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, and now Georgia. All Senate seats that went to Democrats. And need I mention the governorships lost? I mean, they've called Arizona for Katie Hobbs, whether Carrie Lake likes it or not. That just can't make Republicans happy. Trump is more like the kiss of death than a kingmaker, and maybe he ought to consider that he's supposedly running for the presidency as a Republican. Not a Trump Republican, just a Republican Republican. The GOP may be splintered into a thousand different factions, but he is supposed to be representing all of them. And being a compulsive fucking loser might not be the look that they're going for. But who knows? We'll see. Look, they're trapped inside this party with Trump. He's not trapped in there with them. They can't get away from him. 
He is going to be the dominant force in this party for as long as he still keeps, you know, dragging breath into his lungs. On Wednesday, Trump opened his fundraising letter with this. Friend, for all rhinos, never Trumpers, radical left Democrats, and of course, the fake news media, please enjoy this latest poll from highly respected Emerson College. I have the support of over 55% of Americans for the National Republican primary in 2024. I'm not surprised. Every day I fight to save America for the American people by standing up to some of the most menacing forces. Please just make it stop, will you? Having something to do with paying some Stormy Daniels woman 130000 I mean, which is going to turn out to be perfectly legal. That money was not campaign money. Sorry, I'm giving you a fact now that you don't know. It's not campaign money. No campaign finance violation. So they funneled it through the law firm. Funneled through the law firm and the president repaid it. Oh, I didn't know he did. (laughs) (laughs) What can we say about Rudy Colludi, drunken Giuliani that hasn't already been said before? That he's so addled during his attorney misconduct hearing that he put on two watches. Nope, been said. Did Giuliani constantly lose his temper and forget what he was saying in the middle of a sentence while being questioned? Yes, yes he did, the fucking dummy. On day two of his hearing, the crazy old coot, formerly known as America's mayor, raged at the disciplinary council and accused them of asking sneaky and unfair questions, and then went on some fucking crazy tirade about the 2020 election being stolen. All while the panel's chairman pleaded with him to give straightforward answers. Or, in my recommendation, shut the fuck up. She said, you did did a wonderful job on September 11th, and therefore I'm making you an honorary knight, commander of the royal something or other. If you want to see more of Rudy's Queen Elizabeth, you can catch him in the upcoming Netflix series, The Clown. Giuliani's decides during the virtual hearing were so extensive and weird that the council couldn't always follow him and would sometimes forget what question that they had asked. This ethics case was brought by the Bar Association Disciplinary Council and focuses on Giuliani's efforts to overturn the 2020 election results in Pennsylvania when he was then President Trump's personal attorney. Now they have accused Giuliani of violating Pennsylvania's rules of professional conduct by filing a frivolous lawsuit seeking to throw out millions of votes in the state and engaging in conduct prejudicial to the administration of justice. I am shocked and offended this is happening to me, Rudy cried, and then went on to proclaim that the hearings were a witch hunt and that he was being unfairly targeted. I mean, where have we heard that before? Hey, Rudy, go on, go take a look at the SDNY. It's a witch hunt. It's a sham. It's a hoax. Uh, Nothing was done wrong. Zero was done wrong. File under, ain't that a bitch, motherfucker? The book-banning magas are outraged that Kirk Cameron was denied permission to read his Christian children's book in a public library. Go figure. Two more classified documents were found in Trump's storage unit near Mar-a-Lardo and handed over to the FBI on Wednesday, something that I talked about and tweeted about on August 31st of 2022. Now, I'm not saying I'm Nostradamus, but I seem to be right about that. 
And in an unrelated incident, oh, this asshole Paul fucking Gosar, in a show of solidarity with Trump, tweeted that he too supports terminating the Constitution. I mean, seriously, Paul, you fucking dummy. And here is what Donald, Trump's think, Donald Trump thinks should happen after the Constitution is terminated. Quote, Throw the presidential election results of 2020 out and declare the rightful winner. That is exactly what Donald Trump was trying to do on January 6th. And for the record, the people upset by the baseless claim that the Biden family wanted Twitter to take down nude photos of Hunter to help the Biden campaign said absolutely nothing when faced with actual proof that AMI killed the Karen McDougal story and that Donald paid off several women he'd had sex with to help his campaign. I don't like whataboutisms, but I'm just saying, because that shit fucking bugs me. What does Santa have on his face? A, a cancerous mole. B, a mustache. C, McRib sauce. Or D, a teardrop tattoo he got in prison. And now for the main event. Today, we welcome to our show for the first time, Andrew Yang. Yang is an entrepreneur, a businessman, attorney, lobbyist, and politician who championed universal basic income during his 2020 run for the presidency. Yang proved to be a surprisingly popular candidate who developed a following known as the Yang Gang during the Democratic primaries though Yang has since founded his own third party known as the Forward Party. Yang was born to Taiwanese parents in New York, graduated from Columbia Law School, became an entrepreneur, founded two nonprofit organizations, and was named a champion of change by the Obama administration. Yang ran for mayor of New York City in 2021 and has shown support for innovative ideas like ranked choice voting, open primaries, and human-centered capitalism. This is going to be an amazing conversation, so let's go now to that conversation with Andrew Yang. Okay, so Andrew, if you would, tell me what's happening with your efforts to create a third party. Because I believe that you and uh, New Jersey Governor Christy Todd Whitman are calling your party the Forward Party. Can you tell me what do you stand for and where are you at in the process of building this party? Uh, it's super exciting, Michael. The Forward Party is already the third biggest political party in the country by resources, thanks to awesome uh, champions like Christy Todd Whitman, also Miles Taylor, David Jolly, a lot of other seasoned folks uh, who know that we need an, a new party, really. Uh, and uh, right now, 50% of Americans identify as independents. 62% say they want a third party. Uh, more than two thirds, as you know, think our democracy is faltering. Uh, and so you have to ask yourself, like, what does the next step look like? Uh, does it really just consist of these holding actions and dodging bullets and like hoping that uh, Reverend Warnock ekes out a win against Herschel Walker, which happily he did? Um, but, you know, you look at the margin there, it's 1%. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, but, um, so you, you know, I'm a problem solver. Uh, a lot of the folks who are associated with the Ford Party are business leaders. Um, no one would set their business up like our political system, especially now that it's starting to collapse in front of us. 
Um, so it, it, it needs a new alternative and new competition. Right. I mean, in all fairness, if you think about it, right, we are all regularly forced to choose between one party or the other. And then we'll use Raphael Warnock, because we speak about him a lot on this show, along with Herschel Walker. I mean, Herschel Walker is clearly a flawed candidate by every stretch of the imagination. I mean, I've never in my life heard of a politician bringing up werewolves and vampires and then doubling down. Also, they have the issue of whether he lives in Texas, he lives in Georgia. He's just an absolutely flawed candidate. Now, I make no assertions about him personally. I've only met him when he was on The Apprentice and he seemed like a lovely enough guy. But that's not who I would want as a senator, a guy who is basically still able to attract 48% of the voting population in Georgia. That's a massive number. What was it, like 1.7 million? Despite all of his character flaws and all of the, the gaffes that he made in this, in this race? Well, it's indicative, Michael, because right now we're uh, just divided into two tribes, more polarized than ever. Almost half of Republicans view Democrats as corrupt and a threat to the country. Same percentage of Democrats feel that way about Republicans. It's getting worse, not better. Uh, media doesn't help. Social media doesn't help. So uh, if you fast forward, you you see uh, strife and division uh, and uh, eventually conflict rising and rising. Unless you turn the temperature down, uh, you have an, another political actor uh, that isn't a political football that gets passed back and forth. Uh, and most people listening to this or watching this uh, regularly choose between the lesser of two evils in terms of their political candidates, or they essentially don't have a choice. I mean, 70% of the 500,000 local races in the country are either uncontested or uncompetitive. Um, I ran for mayor in New York. I imagine a lot of people listening to this are New Yorkers. Um, we all know that uh, the Democratic primary decided the whole thing. Uh, about 900,000 people voted in the primary in a city of 9.2 million. Um, so you could have the winner getting literally 4% of voters, <laughs> which, right. you know, which is happening somewhat regularly. Um, and, and it's held in place by a set of rules um, that is not good for the public. Um, and, and so I want to return to this where when I was running for mayor in New York, people would come up to me on the street all the time and say, hey, Yang, I like you. Um, I, I want to support you. And then I had to look at them and say, hey, are you registered Democrat? And they would say no. And I'd say, well, then you cannot vote in this primary because you need to have registered back in February. Um, uh, and, and, you know, I'm having this conversation in May. So uh, you have to ask, why is it so difficult? It's because they want to control things. So there's going to be an initiative in New York City trying to open it up to something called Final Five Voting, where you can vote for anyone of any mm -hmm. party. And, and the, the, any of the top five get through. This would reduce polarization, uh, what would give you real choices. Nevada just approved it. Uh, it's sweeping the country. Uh, and I think New Yorkers would love it, especially anyone who's an independent or Republican who feels like you're on the outside looking in. Uh, I, I, so the forward party's thesis, Michael, that I think most people would agree with is just one party rule is not a great look, uh, regardless of which party it is. And at this point, three quarters of the country essentially has one party rule. Yeah. Look, you know, the Washington Post did a very interesting story that covers your forward party. 
And they made the analogy, and I thought it was a brilliant analogy, stating, you know, that there's only one problem with bringing in this third party. And they, they compared the political parties to coffee shops, right? I'm sure you saw the article. And it says the other coffee houses control who can open a coffee shop and how big it can be. What's more, the people who are frustrated with the coffee shops still often have a vested interest in seeing one of the coffee shops succeed. And then the problem, of course, snowballs from there. It's exactly true. I, what obstacles are you facing right now from, we'll call it, the other two coffee shops as it relates to getting the forward party up and moving? Because many people would say that a third party would basically hurt the party that's in power or depending upon which group is less happy with their coffee house and then they switch to the new party. No, you're, you're identifying the right challenge. I'm going to tell you a story that happened here in New York um, where there was a group called the Serve America Movement and they fought, fought, fought to get on the ballot uh, in 2018. Um, and then uh, Andrew Cuomo uh, decided he didn't like having so many minor parties on the ballot. And so he expunged them along with three other parties. And then everyone who was a part of uh, the SAM party that merged with Forward this year uh, got a letter saying, hey, your party registration is no good anymore. Um, so that that's like the coffee shop, which is essentially like you're saying, it's like, hey, the coffee mm -hmm. shop just decided to write out <laughs> any, any new coffee shops. Uh, so that that is the landscape in states around the country. Um, happily, most people are fed up. Uh, they want to change. And if they get a real choice, as happened in Nevada uh, during the midterm, so here's what was on the ballot in Nevada. Uh, anyone should be able to vote for any party in the primaries. Um, as you just suggested, both coffee shops, both parties said, hate it, uh, and told everyone within ear earshot, uh, don't vote for question three. Question three, bad. Question three, bad. I was in Nevada campaigning for it, and then people would show me text messages from the Democratic Party saying, vote no on question three because it would make voting too confusing. Like that, that was their argument. It, too cumbersome. Um, now, 52% of Nevadans uh, raised their hand and said, I actually like the idea of voting for whomever I like. Um, and, and so it passed, despite, again, both Republicans and Democrats coming out against it. Um, so the question is, can we do the same thing in New York? Can we do the same thing uh, in states around the country? And uh, it's not easy. Um, but again, we're in a country where almost two thirds of us want this to happen. Um, and so you just have to let folks know, look, this is a very real fucking possibility. Um, if enough of us get together, uh, just go to forwardparty.com, choose your state and say, yeah, like I want a real choice. But doesn't it, doesn't it create a problem if I could vote for anyone that I want? Um, <laughs> and that's, of course, in the primary. Wouldn't I then vote for the weakest candidate in the opposite party? the one with the most flaws, and that way you tried to get, and I guess the other side would do the same. I just think it would be kind of a strange thing, right? You would end up having well, my, Michael, two what of you're the describing least is, Michael, what you're describing is what happens in the current system, where Democrats will spend money boosting extremists in a Republican primary Correct. to have a weaker opponent that, uh, to, to confront. If you Fair. had a system where there were five candidates, uh, let's just say in, in real life, Let's say it was New York City and there were two Democrats, a Republican, uh, uh, a Libertarian, and like a, a Working Families Party. Um, and then it's ranked choice voting. So whoever gets the most votes in the aggregate wins. With, uh, the first person to get the majority wins. Um, 
and let's say that you're a Democrat, like, like you're voting for, um, you know, a Looney Tune. All you just did is throw your vote away. Um, so that's pretty dumb. <laughs> Makes sense. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Makes sense. But, but, yeah. but in the current system, people all the time are trying to elevate Looney Tunes because you have this artificial constraint that you're going to have a Republican primary and Democratic primary, and then you're going to get through. So we saw this in Michigan uh, where, you know, we saw this in New Hampshire where the Democrats were like, let's elevate the crazy person um, because the crazy person is more beatable. And if you look at how that worked out for the Democrats this past cycle, it worked in most every place they tried it. So do you think they will do it again next time? Of course, because they didn't pay much of a price. Some people in the press or some people like me were like, hey, it's deranged to elevate like election deniers and crazy people um, because one of them might win. Um, and it, by the way, it also defeat like like it, it makes your argument that you're defending democracy hollow because you're literally spending millions of dollars elevating election deniers just because you think they're more beatable. I mean, that's the perversion of the current system. Like the system that the forward party is fighting for gets rid of all of that gamesmanship. Andrew, I stand corrected. Huh? You have you have impressed upon me. You are right. I totally agree with you. So let me ask you this, because you no longer consider yourself a Democrat. Are you then registered as an independent or are you now a forward party member? I guess for lack of a better term. I mean, is the forward party even actually registered that if I wanted to switch parties, I could actually do that? And then let's just say that you are successful in your efforts to get this new party off the ground. Would you not then be, you know, splitting left of center voters or right of center voters and giving whether it's Republicans or Democrats a greater advantage? I mean, I think they kind of call it like the Ross Perot effect, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll take the second question first. Um, So the reason why something like ranked choice voting is so important is that it gets rid of uh, me taking anyone's votes. It gets rid of the spoiler effect. Uh, You know, I can vote for you, Michael, um, number one, and then whoever else, number two. And then if you don't get any other votes, then, you know, like uh, then then my vote just flows through to to the second person. Um, The the spoiler effect is being used as a cudgel right now by both parties to try and enforce non-competition. You know, anytime someone new comes along and is like, hey, guys, maybe we should have another choice. They're like, oh, you're going to empower the bad guys to win. Uh, and, and, And it's in part because they know that no one actually wants to vote for either of the two current. Uh, uh, current parties. Like their main argument is essentially the other party is unacceptable. And then if a new entrant comes and says, oh, you're going to make the unacceptable party stronger. And then when you respond, say, look, if you impo- if you implement ranked choice voting, problem solved. You know what they never say, Michael? Oh, that's a great idea. We should do that. Um, no, 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 like because they know that if you actually open the system to people's genuine preferences, then you might have to actually do something for us to stay in office. Right now, uh, right now, there's an internal game being played by the folks in both parties when they're in power, where to stay in power, um, they just need to placate and please a defined set of special interests, and then they're all set. Um, uh, and if you open it up to the general public, then maybe they have to listen to us, maybe they have to deliver, maybe they, maybe their policies would have to make better sense. Um, so the, the entire, like, you're going to weaken the good guys thing is just a function of our current archaic voting system. Uh uh, now, to the first question is, what am I? I'm an independent. Um, and uh, to your point, uh, the forward party is not an official party in the state of New York because of Cuomo's, you know, rubbing it out uh, a couple of years ago. Um, <laughs> so 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 we are, are recognized in uh, Texas and Connecticut, um, and we expect to be recognized in another 20 states or so um, by the end of 2023. 
Um, so between now and then, people can keep their party registration as is. Nice. Then, obviously, we all know that this costs a lot of money. So who supports the forward party? I mean, do you have any specific donors that are out there? Because um, I know that you have a pack. Um, is your not-for-profit Humanity Forward a part of your fundraising efforts, or is it a completely separate entity? Um, it's a separate effort. Uh, Humanity Forward is a very wholesome uh, lobbying org that lobbies for things like an enhanced child tax credit and uh, uh, democracy reform like the Electoral Count Act. Um, so they're, they're doing very positive things, and I'm super proud. Um, but the, the Forward Party is its own effort. Uh, and the donors are everyday Americans, hopefully like some of the people listening to this right now, who get that we're in a path to disaster, get that the current parties are at best like uh, trying to stop the bleeding, um, but you can sense the, the blood is still seeping out um, uh, and decide, you know what, uh, you know, like definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, <laughs> expecting a different result. Like maybe we should get with a program. Maybe we should join 90% of the other democracies around the country and, and not get stuck in this two-party doom loop. Um, so we, we've received donations from, at this point, uh, you know, thousands and thousands uh, of everyday Americans. And I'm super proud of that. And where could people go to, to read about it? Because most people don't know that you have started um, or in the process of starting this third party. Where do they go just to do some preliminary inf uh, investigatory work? I mean, just go to forwardparty.com and check it out. Uh, there are state chapters in every state around the country. Um, you, you can follow my stuff at andrewyang.com, where I write about the Forward Party most uh, uh, weeks. Um, but we all know we need this, Michael. I mean, and, and you've even lived a version of this, man, because, like, the fact is right now um, in both parties, there are tremendous incentives to, to follow the leader and stay in line. And it can lead to really, really uh, terrible behavior. Um, and that, and folks will justify it in various ways. Um, uh, I think that this two-party system, the reason why everyone's freaked out about the potential rise of authoritarianism um, is because our system is very vulnerable to authoritarianism. Because all you need is one major party to succumb to terrible leadership, which uh, one already has. Uh, and then if they prevail, then uh, you know, you're, you're uh, in dystopia. Um, and so I'm just going to suggest to people listening to this, it's like, like, do you really think, you know, dodging a bullet every season is like a, a wise way to go? Like, maybe we should just revamp the system so that uh, extremism doesn't get amplified through the party primary system. <laughs> you know, Andrew, you know, it's really funny. There was a guy in Georgia, just to add to your point, there was a guy in Georgia. It was a representative um, Republican, and he went in to vote. And you would think that he was going in to vote for Herschel Walker. And I was a little shocked that he actually was bold enough, you know, to step up and to say the things that he did on television. And he said, I walked in to do my constitutional, my American obligation, my duty as a citizen to vote. He goes, and I looked at the two candidates and I couldn't vote for Raphael Warnock. He goes, because... Obviously, I'm a Republican, and that would be bad. But I couldn't vote for Herschel Walker either because he's just not a legitimate candidate. And so I voted for neither. And I'm sitting there, and I'm saying to myself, wow, this guy's got some fucking balls on him, right? That on television, he would turn around and say that, that he's 
maybe trying to make the point that he's not a party affiliate, but so many people clearly voted for Herschel Walker, not because they thought that he was Senate material, but rather because they were voting party line. Dude, it, it's just the blue team versus the red team at this point. Uh, it's getting worse and worse. It's going to lead us to ruin. Um, uh, you know, imagine a sports league where there are only two teams. Like, how do the fan bases feel about each other after a while, you know? Like, if you're going to have a sporting league, I'm going to suggest that you probably want more than two teams. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't I don't even think the ideal number is three. You know, I think ideally America would have four or five or six uh, significant parties um, but you know, like the single biggest change you have to make is to get from two to three. And by the way, if you get to three, everything can change for the better. Uh, uh, imagine if you had like a, a group of a dozen reasonable, uh, moderate centrist members of Congress from both parties who came together and said, "Look, now you guys can get anything done, unless uh, you know you actually." Uh, listen to reason and listen to facts and, and the rest of it. I mean, uh, right now, again, the incentives are just like, well, if you do that, then you're going to lose all your committee ships. You're, you're going like, to get disciplined by the party. Um, people don't realize just how broken. Well, maybe they do. Because at this point, the U.S. Congress has an approval rating of 22%. So maybe Americans do know how broken it is. Um, uh, you know what the re-election rate is for individual members of Congress, even including in this last cycle? 94%. It's a better win rate than the Jordan Air Chicago Bulls. Um, and, and so, so it's why everyone's ticked off. Uh, you know, it's like, cause 90% of the districts around the country have been drawn to be uncompetitive. Um, it, it's that kind of thing that the forward party is trying to change. It's like, look, the reason why everyone's getting ticked off is because we don't have a meaningful choice. The incentives are bad. Uh, uh the toxicity is just going up. And, and then when everyone makes a plea for a reason, like after Paul Pelosi got attacked in his home, how long does that plea even last? Like at this point, five minutes, 10 minutes, and then people are just back to piling on each other. Um, you know, like a, a little while later, because that that's the blue versus red tribalism. Uh, we just need a different dynamic. And the forward party is fighting like mad to make that happen. Nice. So give everyone $1,000. I mean, that's that was part of your platform when you were running for the presidency in 2020. Um, by the way, congratulations um, in getting as far as you did. You know, and it's exciting for so many people. I mean, the Yang gang was Real. It was legitimate. It was actually very cool to watch from the sideline. But where did you get that idea for the $1,000 per American? And what was it really meant to achieve? Because if, if you remember, there was a lot of criticism to it. And I just don't think that people fully grasp what your ideology was there. So if you'd share it with my listeners... Um, I worked in technology and, and business for a number of years, uh, and I, I also worked in the Midwest and the South for six years prior to running for president. I saw the aftermath of the automation of manufacturing jobs, which is why Trump became president, by the way, in 2016, is that we eliminated 4 million manufacturing jobs in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Ohio primarily, um, all the swing states he needed to win. Um, so my friends in Silicon Valley know we're going to do the same thing to call center jobs, retail jobs, uh, eventually driving jobs, um, which, by the way, are the most common jobs in the U.S. economy. Um, only about 35 percent of Americans graduate from college. Um, so we're a country primarily of high school grads. Maybe they had like you a know, year of vocational or, or community college. Um, uh, and so the most common jobs are getting reduced pretty quickly by technological advances uh, and 
my goal was to try and help people understand that we're in the midst of the fourth industrial revolution, which by the way is speeding up. Um, I mean, COVID sped it up, uh, zoom, you know, I mean, uh, like if you're remote, you're frankly halfway automated <laughs> at this point. Um, so, right. uh, so the question is, what is the next version of, um, uh, of an economy that, that works for people look like, uh, and the, the single biggest emblem of what I was fighting for was the enhanced child tax credit that brought 3 million American kids out of poverty in 2021 and 174 economists, including, I believe three Nobel prize winners signed a letter saying we should keep this because it's great. And of course, American politics being what it is, uh, we got rid of it in the beginning of 2022. Um, you know, like, Reducing poverty for those American families uh, was a great move, and we should be doing more of it. I mean, look, let's not forget that Trump tried this America first trade policy. Remember when he came up with that? It was almost like um, uh, what was the slogan that he did? It was um, buy American, hire American. And he talked about how many jobs he was going to create and how much um outsourcing we were going to bring back to America and so on. And it all sounds so good, right? When you're standing at the podium and you talk about, right, buy American, hire American, that we're going to bring back. And I've already spoken to Apple and they're going to bring their manufacturing back uh, to America from China. And then there was a half a dozen other, you know, scenarios that he bullshitted the American people on as he stood up there. Now, some people would turn and tell you as a result of COVID that 16, 17 million jobs that he said he was going to bring back, which turned out to be three, um, could not happen because of COVID and so on. But at the end of the day, after Trump's four-year administration was over, there was no big business brought back to America. How do you do it then? In other words, we're watching now as Apple says that they're going to bring manufacturing to America. They're going to start to do certain um, semiconductor uh, manufacturing here in America. Again, it sounds great. I hope it's true. I don't know if they will do it. There's obviously a very large investment. So maybe they are working with the government. What's your take on it as a tech guy who's also a business guy? You no, know, uh, Michael, I, I think this is a both and situation um, where our manufacturing employee base went down by uh, four to five million um, from, you know, let's call it the like early 90s. Um, uh, and, and so, uh, you have to do a lot of things at once, um, uh, knowing, uh, that the forces that eliminated those jobs are getting stronger, not weaker. Um, so we should be investing in vocational and apprenticeship at a very high level. Uh, the, the data has shown that that's really mm -hmm. good for high school, uh, uh, graduating men in particular. Um, we should be trying to make it like, the incentives to outsource, uh, uh, or push these jobs overseas lower. We should be making massive investments the way this, like the Biden administration has thrown down on various plants trying to bring chip manufacturing back, uh, for strategic reasons. Um, uh, but we should keep, uh, keep in mind, um, just how bad the historical trends have been. Um, uh, and folks have like, you know, I mean, the fact is like uh, political figures, uh, will make announcements, uh, and then the, you know, the numbers will, uh, typically we have something in them that they can highlight and then some other stuff that they'll try and ignore. 
Um, but but the reality has been getting bleaker for most Americans, uh, really, almost regardless of, of what class you are, um, for years. Uh, and it's one reason why I think the disease in our political system is so damaging, is that neither party truly has to deliver results for the American people in order to win re-election. Uh, you know, the, the name of the game now is, uh, you know, just have them hate you a little bit less. Uh, I mean, uh, the fact is 90 90 percent plus of our votes don't even matter in the presidential anymore because it's going to be decided in six states, uh, Arizona, Nevada, uh, Wisconsin, Georgia, maybe Michigan, maybe PA. You, you might be able to throw a couple other states in that mix, but not really. Um, and, and so you you end up with these like ideological struggles that are less and less connected to the reality on the ground for those manufacturing workers. You know, I, I was just on the phone with someone from uh, Missouri um, so Missouri, you and I remember this, Michael. Missouri was a quintessential swing state. Uh, you know, like it, like mm-hmm. same with Ohio, same with Iowa. Um, Ohio and Iowa went for Obama. Now Democrats cannot compete at all in any of those three states. But for the National Democratic Party, they just look at it and say, that's fine. Like, I'm just going to trade those states in for uh, diversifying states like Nevada, Arizona, and Georgia, and problem solved for us, the party. But does that solve a, a problem for that former manufacturing worker in Missouri or, uh, or Ohio? Uh, no. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they're looking up being like, what the right. hell happened to my way of life? And then the Democratic Party will be like, well, you know, it doesn't matter anymore. You know, uh, <laughs> that is the evil of this current system. Yeah, actually, what makes what makes your idea of a third party very interesting, at least in my perspective, is as I'm talking to people about what 2024 could look like. And they start to bring up Trump as the Republican candidate, to which Biden has not, of course, come out and said that he won't. So we're basically looking at a Biden-Trump too, right? As if this is a pay-per-view event. And the problem with that is that it's not an inspiring election. Yeah, it's it's inspiring for the diehards on no, both no, dude, sides. I've got, I've got some numbers but for so you, so many Michael. people have said to me... Yeah, yeah, two numbers for you. Number one, combined age of those two candidates in 2024, 159 years old. Uh, I mean, just think about that for a second. Um, but, but the other number is 58% of Americans don't want either of them. Um, uh, so... That's my, that's my, so, that's so my it, point. You That's have a disease point. system. I, I mean, I, I, like, so Trump's running again. You know him well. Uh, uh, not a great launch. Like, not a lot of enthusiasm for him. A lot of Republicans are turning out around the country. But he's still a heavy favorite to win. Um, and, and you know why? Just the mechanics of the party primary. Uh, if you look back in 2016, he got 35 38% of the primary voters in those early states and the other six candidates divvied up the other 65% and he rolled, you know, who's going to run against him this time, probably at least another six people I can think of off the top of my head. Um, and you know, do we really think he's going to dip below 35%? Uh, yeah, I, I actually, I, I do because I start to look now at his favorability numbers and how even his, um, diehard supporters, are stepping away. You know, one of the things that I think we're all beginning but, but to Michael, feel, let, and let's even throw a number despite out there. the let, fact let's that... Say, let's say you think it's lower than 35. You think it's going to go down to 30? 28. 28 still wins. 
like, depending like, like, upon th the number. That, that is depending really, upon the number of people running yeah, against Yeah, yeah. So this is really the pro it's a math thing, you know, I'm a numbers guy. But um if you look back at 2016, um, you know, like uh, the the other candidates were divvying up the you know the the others and they were getting like 19, 20%, like but they but it was different people in di different states. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's just a really stupid process. It, it very well might give us uh, what you just said, which is the Trump Biden two, the rematch that nobody wants. These guys have not gotten four years like, you know, smarter and wiser. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Very, very, very true. And one of the big problems that I see even with the DNC is nobody there has the balls to say to President Biden, listen, you are a senator, right? Vice president, now president of the United States. You've done your civic duty for this country, right? You would be the oldest president in U.S. history. It's spooking not just a lot of people in this party, but around the world. And I think he's done a great job so far. There are things I don't like, but for the most part, I think he's doing a really good job. And I think a lot of the criticism that's coming against him is unwarranted. However, every single day, the Republicans are focused on doing only one thing, and that's to discredit him as well as to, to hurt him. And very soon in January, we're going to have a Republican House. And you could just... You could rest assured, especially if the likes of Jim Jordan become the head of the, the chair of the House Oversight Committee, you're going to start seeing articles of impeachment. It's going to be whether about Hunter Biden, the laptop, Burisma, about Afghanistan. It's going to be about a multitude of issues. Some may be legit. Others may be illegitimate. None of us know the answer. But yeah, it would be truly great. If there were three equal parties, the concern again that I have is as the forward party is building up momentum, depending upon the bulk of the people that join into this third party, all it could be, again, is just the spoiler, you know? Unless, again, and we the, implemented ranked choice voting, concern. which Australia already has, and then no one can spoil anything. But you were going another direction, Michael, which uh, was that, hey... Joe Biden's going to run again, um, and it makes people nervous because he'll be 82 if he's sworn in. And despite the concerns, you're not going to hear a peep from Democrats if he runs again. You're just going to hear about how awesome he is, even though like to the man on the street, they'd be like, look, I like Joe. He's a nice man, but dude's going to be 82, um, uh, you know, and, and you're going to see them try and uh, like you're going to see every uh, you're, you're going to see a non-primary in the Democratic Party. And so this is the concern that the average American has, um, which is like, hey, Republican primary, don't know what's going on there. But because of the way it's designed, uh, Trump still has a good chance of emerging, uh, you know, unless if he was just running one on one against like a really strong candidate, he's a, uh, a lower chance of winning. But we know that's not going to happen. We know it's going to be, you know, Christie, Pompeo, Pence, maybe Haley, um, you know, maybe Suarez, uh, maybe DeSantis, et cetera. And they'll be like, Cheney. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I think Liz Cheney you know, I mean, her name. you'll end up with like, you know, eight candidates pretty quick. Um, uh, and then on the Democratic side, I don't think there's a primary if Joe runs. Like, there's no one within the establishment that's going to be like, you know what? I'm going to challenge our, our president um, because dude's just too old um, uh, with Trump coming up the other side. All, all the Democrats will be like, it's Team Joe, Team Joe. 
Um, and so the average American is going to look up and be like, wait a fucking minute. Uh, are you telling me that these are really my choices again? Like what kind of deranged system delivers, uh, you know, like the the eight, soon to be 82 year old versus the 77 year old? Um, uh, I didn't like them last time. And then we're just doing this again. Uh, like it, it like on the face of it, it just flies in, in you know, like it, it like it, it flies in the sense of any kind of reasonable <laughs> system or standard. And, yeah. and so like the average American is going to look up and 58% of Americans are like, give me something else. Um, now there are individuals and you probably know a bunch of them um, out of no labels who are investing money right now in ballot, ballot access for a unity ticket. Um, and, and depending upon who decides to uh, 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 contest and what that process looks like, they're going to be a lot of very reasonable Americans looking up and saying, um, yeah, like I, I'm very willing to check out another person. And then the Democrats will be trying to stamp that down really uh, quickly and violently because they'll be like, no, 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 we can't do it. Empowering Trump, empowering Trump. But there are going to be a lot of very normal Americans being like, why am I choosing between these two dudes again? Like, uh, if I get another choice, I'll take it. Could you imagine if I end up throwing my name into the rink uh, as a Democrat <laughs> again? And what do you call it? I'm up there. Forget about it. Let's say Joe Biden, people, because I'm 56, that they end up going, you know, with me. Plus, I'm a little hyper aggressive. Uh, they would probably like to see, you know, a nice debate between Trump and myself on a national stage. That would be a funny scenario. But like I said before, I'm a, I'm a fan of the Biden administration. I'm a fan of Joe. I really am. But I do have to acknowledge and agree. He is just unfortunately too old and thank god i mean he's we, you know we all uh, thank god joe I mean, defeat, the, the alternative yeah, yeah, is we no all good joe to defeat trump but, um in, in 2020 and thank goodness he did it i endorsed yeah. him i campaigned for him um uh and, but you know like I, in my opinion he's going to end up running again um and then also in my opinion uh that's the sign of a very very unhealthy system and then if, if someone decides to say, like, look, let's get some more op- in a country of 330 million people like, we're, we're, you know, we could really wind up with right. like those two choices. Why? Um, uh, and, and so if you had like uh, a genuine option, it, it's, it would be fascinating. Um, but, there, you know, the majority of Americans. So the, the, the average American who doesn't know all the stuff you and I know is just looking up being like, OK, what's happening? Who are my choices? And then if they get presented with those two choices, they'll be like. There have to be other choices. <laughs> That's what the yeah. and and I and look and I, I, I believe it. And I, I feel terrible. You know, I feel terrible talking negatively about about Joe because I really am truly a fan of of his, and I think he's doing a really good job. And again, I'll say it again. I don't think everything. There, I agree there are a lot with, of Americans the who feel the same part, way. I think totally. he's right. I and you know, age is just the one thing that. Thank God you just can't, you don't want to stop, right? And maybe if he was 20 years younger, there'd be so much more enthusiasm for him. And I think there are a lot of really good democratic potentials out there. Yeah, but you, you won't you see know, any I of really challenge, do. Joe, if Joe decides to run again. Uh, so it's going to be a weird one. Uh, you know, you might get some outsiders uh, who have no stake in the Democratic Party anymore. Um, the two I threw out there on CNN uh, a couple weeks ago, I don't know if you heard this, was uh, Nina Turner and Marianne Williamson. Um, so they, they're both far enough on the outside of the establishment of the Democratic Party that, you know, they, they won't be worried about the professional repercussions. Um, but office holders like mm-hmm. know that they'd be persona non grata and won't do it. 
Um, and so what I said on air was like, look, if you have Nina Turner and Mary Williamson challenging Joe, I think the Democrats make it uh, so that there's like a non-primary uh, where like wh- whatever the heck Joe's opponents are getting, they're just going to be like, that. that's not high enough. No debates, like, you know, barely a, a primary. I mean, they're rearranging the calendar to help Joe anyway. Um, so I, 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 I think in preparation for Joe running again. And so, uh, yeah, th- there's going to be like a, not a whole lot of democracy in the Democratic Party. <laughs> yeah, one well, marvelous, right? Andrew, let me ask you, as an Asian American, and perhaps I think the only Asian American to get as far as you did in a presidential campaign, did you feel that the media ignored you or that they didn't take you as seriously um, as they should have? And also, how about during your run as mayor of New York? Was, do you think that the press was fair to you? And then just finally, you know, tell me, what do you think of the mainstream media at present? I mean, are they helping or are they hurting the American public? Oh, thanks, Michael. Um, you know, I, I think there were a lot of things that went into the way I was uh, received and perceived and portrayed. Um, so outside of the political system, entrepreneur, uh, non-office holder, new proposing um, things that weren't on the docket uh, in terms of the mainstream pl- political discourse. Uh, I think there were, there were a lot of things that were um, pushing some folks to sideline me. I will say that uh, a producer, Ariana Picari, publicly left MSNBC in 2019 and said that she was given a list of presidential candidates never to have on air. And I was on that list. So uh, the, the fact that that there is actually a thumb on the scales of uh, various media networks. Uh, I mean, it, it's real. It is a thing. Um, now, uh, now, one of the, the things people don't realize is that um, you imagine it's just left versus right in terms of the media. Um, but trust in media actually itself now has a lot of partisanship baked in. If you ask what percentage of Democrats have a high confidence in media generally, uh, the number is 69%. Uh, they, they trust the media to play it straight. You go to Republicans, ask the same question. That number is 15%. Republicans do not trust at all. If you go to independents, uh, it's in between. It's like 39%. So when you ask, is the media doing us any favors? Right now, the the business model of the mainstream media is to have a team jersey on, typically, um, uh, because they've figured out that if I give you what you want, you will come back. And if I give you, I don't give you what you want, then you'll go someplace else. So I better give you what you want. So you know what team I'm on. You know uh, what ideologically I'm going to uh, I'm going to push. You know who I'm going to attack. You know how I'm going to make you uh, you know feel about certain things. Um, uh, and that polarization is pushing us into our corners and making it so that scoring points and defeating your enemy is more important than what's happening on our streets, on our schools, in our homes. Uh, you know, like uh, in our communities. Uh, so as you can tell, you know, like I'm saddened by what's happening in national media. What used to be the counterweight was local journalism, but now we've gotten rid of over 2,000 local newspapers, uh, and so all politics has become national, and it, it's toxic. You know, it's funny that you say that because the um, other the other day, Michael Avenatti was charged, right, found guilty. They came back with a 14-year additional sentence to run concurrent, um, I'm sorry, consecutive uh, to the five years that he's already um, dealing with from the Stormy Daniels matter and the Nike matter. 
I bring that up because for a short time, he was the darling of television. He was completely unvetted. He's even going so far as to make a presidential, a possible presidential announcement, despite being vetted by anyone, despite the fact that most of the things that came out of his mouth were complete and utter fucking lies. It was pure bullshit. There was no regard for truth. And I think that we're seeing that Yet again, and we would think that we would learn. Like, I think Tucker Carlson is identical to Avenatti, except he's just the host of a show. You know, uh, I have my own Michael Avenatti story, um, Michael. He headlined a, one of the first major Democratic events I spoke at. Uh, and you were right. The press was all over him and his potential presidential run. I actually wrote up uh, like this essay about that event <laughs> that, that, that I should send you. It's on my blog at uh, andrewyang.com. Um, but uh, I totally agree. The media elevated this guy to the moon and was like, this is the kind of counter puncher that we need to take on Trump and like our Democrats too nice and like all these bullshit headlines. Um, now, meanwhile, anyone who knew Michael Avenatti was like, yo, this guy should like, you know, like uh, probably be closer to a prison cell at the White House. <laughs> and you know, uh, but <laughs> right. but it, it's a sign of of how noxious uh, like uh, the dynamics are, where we're just character driven at this point, man. And and this is the thing, like, so I mean, you were a civilian until not that long ago. Um, uh, I was a civilian until I made the decision to run for president. Um, and, and now we've become characters, you know, like like the uh, and uh, it's. Uh, and, and you become a character in part because that's what's necessary to participate in this media landscape. <laughs> you know, like it, it, it. Well, you know, for, for me, my, my case is a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, I worked for Trump. I worked for him from 2006, the end of 2006 to 2017, to January 1st of 2017. And I tried to explain to people that the Donald Trump that existed back then as president of the Trump Organization is a completely watered down version of the Donald Trump that we're seeing now. And I used the line that right now and while he was in office, he has become the worst version of himself imaginable. When he was a prick at the Trump Org, and we were suing people. People think that we were running around with baseball bats, beating people up, extorting people and killing people. It's not true. We fucked up a lot of people with lawsuits and with the threat of lawsuits. But then again, that's what lawyers do. So, you know, the allegations of like sort of the mob-like tactics, yeah, but we still stayed within the confines of the law. Now, there are things that I was not involved with, and some of the stuff is coming out now, like the allegations um, with uh, some young girls and E. Jean Carroll. I had no idea that any of that had gone on um, and so on, and I wasn't involved in the suppression of any of that information and so on. In fact, I've spoken to E. Jean, and you know, I tell her I wasn't there, 
So I'm not going to comment whether it happened or it didn't. But if she says that it did, who am I to tell her that it didn't? She now has her obligation through a court of law. Okay, it is how it works. The biggest problem that I really see going on right now is you're exactly correct. We have become uh, sort of characters for this scenario, especially me, as now the Trump organization was just found criminally liable on, was it the 11 counts here in the DA's office? There's potential talk of Alvin Bragg now that he brought in Matthew Colangelo, uh, a new attorney, outside attorney, to look at investigations with Donald himself, Don Jr., Eric, and others. Um, I get pulled back in to the scenario whereby, you know, I'm twice on MSNBC yesterday, tonight CNN, MSNBC and CNN again tomorrow and so on. Newspapers going crazy for quotes and so on. And that's sort of, I guess, the penance that I have to pay for working as a lawyer, right? And quote fixer, which is really kind of a name that Avenatti and others had created in me that sort of John Wick, Jason Bourne, you know, Ray Donovan character all mushed into one. And I may end up trying to use that new character, the way that people think that they know me. Maybe, maybe I do take a shot at politics and I'm going to use the line, maybe I can fix this country. Maybe I can ensure that all of the corruption and all of the bullshit that I have seen that we're all living through, maybe I can put an end to it. Now, of course, I'd have to convince my wife to allow me, and I don't know, um, you know, how you ended up doing it, how you decided to make that move. You know, it's very easy to live in the private life and to sort of wake up every day like an ostrich, pull your head out of the ground and hope that today is better than yesterday. But that's not what's happening. And it's extremely it, it, it scary. Is, uh, Michael, what, what I would urge you to, to look at is, like, or some of the stuff I, I determined, uh, we're in a very, very negative path. Um, uh, and a, a lot of the reason why is that we have these structures that are rewarding bad behavior, uh, you know, and, and um, part of it is that, you know, like to, to win office, I don't need to appeal to the most reasonable 50% in the middle. Um, I just have to get the typically the 10 to 12 percent of like the most aggressive uh, hyperpartisan like rabid types on my team. And then, uh, you know, like then I can win. Um, uh, and so you wind up with people who are separating the corners. And then you have media organizations who separate us into corners and you have social media and the same thing. Um, and, and so, mm -hmm. uh, you know, because we're rewarding all this stuff on the sides, we're going to get more of it. And what the forward party is trying to do is just trying to go to the dial and say, yo, like, let, let's turn it down. Let's turn down the primaries. Let's, like, turn up the common sense rando uh, who, like, doesn't pay attention to stuff, but would, like, be more into, like, the, you know, like, like the, the figures trying to get uh, good things to happen for them. Uh, it, it's so that, like, the, the system is feeding itself in a particular way, um, and, you know, and, and uh, like, uh, part of it's like legal training is like I looked into it and I was like, why are we, why are we at each other's throats? And it's like, Oh, Oh, cause we're being set up that way. <laughs> so, 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 so I mean, you, you, you've like, yeah, right. You, so you and I, I mean, you know, it's like, uh, 
you've already done the hardest stuff in your case. I mean, you know, you paid a debt to society, but you're also like, you know, you're out there, you're public, you're on TV. Um, and then after you get to that point, then it's like, oh shit, like, you know, now that I'm here, like maybe I'll try and get good things to happen. Uh, you know, like I, I, you know, the saddest part for me though, Andrew, is that I paid a debt to society that for the most part I didn't owe. Right? There was no tax evasion. I talk about this so much. I talk about it in my book, Revenge. I talk about it on television. Um, you know, I'm actually in the process of uh, filing a complaint against Jeffrey Berman, the former head of the Southern District of New York, on, on information that he put out there in his book, Holding the Line, um, that was unethical and potentially illegal. I never committed tax evasion. Right. I just never committed tax evasion. And I talk about it at length. We even talked about, you know, a lot of people then turn. Oh, you know, bullshit. Then why didn't you come out and say so at the time of the plea deal or at the time of the sentencing? And I scratch my head and I say, listen to me, you stupid motherfucker. All right. If you would have read something more than the Southern District's sentencing memo, like read mine, you would have seen. Crystal clear, I'm not making any assertions today that I didn't make then, which is there was no, there was no tax evasion. I never, I never not paid taxes. I never filed a late tax return in my life during the period where there was an error. It's a tax omission. Many Americans make errors. I personally didn't make the error. It was done by my accountant, Jeffrey Getzel, who managed to, after the lawsuit, he was, it was dismissed. I, my goal is not just to clear my own name, but really to start to fight to make the system better. And that's why I go on the television, and that's why I'm doing the things, and that's why if Alvin Bragg's office asks me to come back in and to enlighten them on the crimes committed by Donald, Don Jr., Eric, and so many others, like Alan Weisselberg. Yeah. Yeah, I'm totally on board. It's like what you just said is like, you're doing what you're doing to make the system better. So am I. Like I, I'm just trying to make the system better. No, we'll have to do it together then. So then let me move on and ask you this, because Biden's pitching a new strategy for the next presidential campaign. And one way that he's doing it is to take the first primary out of Iowa and start in a much more diverse state like um, South Carolina. How important do you think that this shakeup in the primary order will, um, will be for the primaries? Because it feels like a win for diverse voters, but it's also a crap shot. Uh, you know, I, I just think it's, it's politics, man. Uh, you know, like the reason why Joe Biden's our president is because uh, Jim Clyburn and, and South Carolina got behind him. Um, and so now Joe's like, hey, let's put South Carolina first. Uh, and the DNC will say, yes, we're going to do it. So, it, you know, it's like you get the president elected, like this is your reward. What, what a payoff, right? You know, a seat, a seat basically in the Oval Office. Now, you have a lot of ideas about election reform um, and maybe that the public isn't hip to or onto yet. How, in your opinion, do we get the public to trust our system of voting again? Because, again, in my conversations with so many people, they truly don't believe the system. Now, of course, you got the fucking wackadoodles that believe in, you know, uh, that the Dominion machines were tampered with, that you have the uh, Jewish space laser that it shoots up to and then down and it changes the vote. What do we need to do in order to ensure that people you know, trust I, I talked the about it uh, before, and this will be my, my like, closing thought. Uh, 
that there's just not a lot of trust in American life, man. Um, uh, and, and like people don't trust the media, don't trust institutions, don't trust our elections. Uh, so we, you know, how do you revive that trust? Uh, like, how do you rebuild that connection? And, and I think that it starts with a grassroots political movement that raised their hands and says, you know what? Uh, you know, we need to try and actually have a better connection between people, families, and communities and what's going on with them and our elected representatives. Uh, that connection has been broken in a lot of places. Uh, you know, most places you don't have a meaningful choice. Um, and so if you had a system where you had meaningful choices where you lived, then you might start to trust again. If you knew that, like, hey, if I show up and I, and I vote for someone, like, they might actually win. It's not about the money. It's not about the political insiders. It's not about the fixers. It's not about the media. Like, I, I think this person actually will will change something uh, for, for me and mine. Um, then we have a chance to come back. In the absence of that, you know, I think that the, the trust gap just gets worse and worse. And that, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing is that that connection just genuinely does not exist uh, for far too many Americans. 70% of elections uncompetitive, 90%, uh, 94% re-election rate, despite three or four of us being upset. Like The fact is most Americans' votes don't matter. Um, and uh, and they get it. Like they're, they're waking up to that. Um, so, you know, the you have to actually try and make it matter. For real, like not the pretend, like pat them on the head, like, oh, you know, we counted your vote, you know, like, you know, it, it was like, again, I mean, look at the presidential, like, like it's going to be five or six states that decide the whole thing. And we're all going to get very ginned up and mad. Um, but <laughs> it's and there, there are yeah. ways you can change that, too, by the way, like you can make it so that we so, had a meaningful choice in who gets nominated for president, who becomes president in a way that we don't right now. Yeah, we definitely don't. Now. Andrew, you're a, you're a tech guy, and because you're known for your tech, you know, based approach uh, to politics, and I assume life. What's your take on Elon Musk's foray into Twitter, and what does free speech mean to you? Do you think that Elon Musk sincerely cares about free speech, or is it just some sort of a hype? Uh, like it, it, it makes me sad that Elon has gotten into Twitter. Um, like I, I, I think he's. Uh, best suited to solving problems like electrifying uh, our our uh, vehicle fleets, uh, maybe you know digging uh, holes underground to reduce traffic or, or um, space travel. Like I love those problems. Um, you know, like I think Twitter is a bad bad fit for him, um, and it's I mean it's 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 interesting seeing it happen, but not interesting. And in like, you know, like I'm glad <laughs> kind of way. I just think, I just think it's not a, a fit for his strengths. Um, uh, and I, I wish he were solving other problems, but you know, like, uh, do I think he genuinely thinks that, that like, do I think that he's, um, he's, he's doing what he's doing with Twitter um, because he's concerned about, uh, you know, ideas and expression. Yeah, I, I do. I, I do think that piece of it's real. You know, it's funny because um, I spoke with him on this Twitter live event uh, a couple days ago. And then I posted about it and I wrote that I applaud uh, Elon Musk's commitment to the First Amendment um, on Twitter and in life. And I got beaten up by so many people. And this is, goes back to our earlier conversation that you have to be in either the red camp or the blue camp. First Amendment is not in either camp. It's both camps. And as a guy who had his First Amendment violated when they remanded me back to Otisville because I refused to waive my First Amendment right, and they then had me handcuffed, shackled, and sent back to Otisville, 
when I was supposed to go for that ankle monitor, I understand not just what it's like. You know, I lived what it's like when your, when your First Amendment is violated. Now, there's a lot of the speech that's going on on the internet, Twitter, and in all of the social media platforms, especially Trump's. Um, but there has to be some sort of a balance because if only my side of what I want to hear, then what about the other side? They're entitled to believe and to think what they want as long as it's not, you know, hate speech being promoted and anti-guidelines and yeah, so yeah, on. I, I do. You, you agree um, with that? And I agree with you too that uh, everything being polarized and politicized makes it so that it's like, oh, you're either for us or against us. And then if you say something uh, that's, you know, in, in my mind, we should all be on, on board for freedom of speech, uh, then people will attack you because you're defending someone they don't like in that moment. Uh, I mean, you and I were trained uh, uh, in law school, but also trained in an era where you thought part of the responsibility was maybe you take on someone who you don't agree with. Like maybe someone says something you don't agree with, but you defend their right to say it. Um, uh, and we, we've lost that because of the, just the, the jerseys, you know, it's like, if your team's winning, then I hate it. And if you're going to say something that is bad for my team, um, uh, like, for example, uh, you know, this, I mean, what, one of the things that set off this Twitter conflagration is, uh, you know, the Hunter Biden laptop stuff, uh, you know, it's like, oh, like that, like, I don't, I don't, I don't like that story. So, mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, if you made it go away, like, you know. Well, help my team, you know, which it shouldn't be the point. Can I ask you one last question? Because you and I are both New Yorkers and speaking of teams, oh, two second I, question here, because uh, I do know the hour goes by quick. Baseball fan, Yankees or Mets? Uh, Mets since the days of Mookie Blaylock, Keith Hernandez, Dwight Gooden, Daryl Strawberry, uh, Miracle of 86, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> Yank Yankee fan, except fan of Steve Cohen. So, you know, I, I'm kind of split now. Yeah, I, I mean, shit, the first thing you want from an owner is willingness to spend, and he's got that. So, I mean, like, you know, after that. And, and I think Steve's got the other stuff, too. But he's starting from a very good place. <laughs> uh, by the way, absolutely, my friend. Andrew, so good to speak to you. Um, let's stay in touch. Uh, very interested in your third-party move. I'm also interested in whether you're going to run again for mayor, you're going to run again for the presidency. I think you'd be great um, at both. And... Hope to stay in touch. Hope to see you and speak to you soon. Yeah, I'll see you in person before I long, Michael. Congrats on everything. Thank you so much, my friend. And now for today's mea culpa. I hate to say it, but we have some enemies in high places. The Supreme Court, for instance, where apparently at least six of its members have a serious God complex in more than one way. First, because a lifetime appointment leads to some pretty grandiose ideas about oneself. And secondly, because the conservative majority of the high court is made up of far right-wing Catholic zealots who rule based on their religious convictions and political views and not necessarily the facts in a case. Today they are debating whether state legislators have the power to set federal voting laws without oversight from state courts. If the justices side with North Carolina's Republican legislative leaders, state lawmakers throughout the country could have exclusive authority to structure federal elections as they see fit. 
even if it results in extremely partisan voting maps for congressional seats. And even if it violates voter protections that are already enshrined in state constitutions. The case could also have a major impact on the 2024 presidential election. Now, a friend of the show, Neil Katyal, is arguing against North Carolina Republicans and for our democracy. His basic premise is that this provision would undermine the entire Constitution. And then we must ask ourselves, does this high court really support the Constitution? Some members call themselves originalists, but as we've seen with this radical court, the Constitution in their hands can be crafted to suit their views and interpreted through what amounts to Republican beer goggles. Now this all started because Republicans in North Carolina were fucking pissed because their very gerrymandered redistricting map was rejected by a Democrat-leaning state Supreme Court. I mean, let's all cry for them, boo fucking who? But now the state's Republican leaders are asking the justices to embrace the independent state legislature theory, which could end oversight by state courts so there would be no one enforcing any state's constitution. Katyal said in his statement to the court, to accept the petitioner's claim, you'd have to ignore the text, history, the structure of our federal constitution, as well as nearly every state constitution today. In essence, one state changing the rules could dismantle voting protections for all of us. Other state constitutions would thus become null and void, and then state legislators could slip in and help decide if an election should be certified or not. The consequences here could be profound. Now, one reporter said, not since Citizens United took effect has there been a more dangerous precedent leveled against our voter rights. Free and fair elections might easily become a thing of the past. This is like Donald Trump's wet dream. Do you think he would have used his power to twist arms and toss out certifications that were not in his favor? He most certainly would have, and I know that for a fact. If Republicans win this case, gerrymandering will become the norm. I mean, why not? Who would stop them? I mean, certainly not the courts, because it would no longer be up to them. The courts will have been factored out of the equation, and all the power to decide the outcome of an election would land in the slate legislator's lap. This is how Republican legislators can sidestep the rules when the state Supreme Court is Democratic. North Carolina is a red state. Statistics tell us that over the last several decades, it would have been near impossible for Republicans to win the presidency without the antiquated electoral college. But if states can throw out just any election results they choose based on the independent state legislator theory, then we're all fucking screwed. Republicans are already unpopular with young people, as well as Gen X, Y, and Z, who have proven to be pro-democracy and consequentially pro-democrat. And guess what? They vote. So what? Republicans are now terrified. And rather than listen to the voice of the people, they would much prefer to make the people listen to them. And wouldn't you know it, arch-conservative Alito, Thomas, and Gorsuch are on board with this fun and easy way to cheat at elections. While some court watchers are saying that it's unlikely the court will side with North Carolina Republicans, I don't put anything past this court. 
These are the same justices who killed abortion rights, despite Roe being settled law for 50 years. So, my friends, stay tuned for the verdict and keep your fingers crossed as I am. And as always, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media, written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth.